I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 56, Blade Runner. So a uh, big break here has really kind of thrown things off, I feel like. You feel like we're out of sync? I don't know. It's just, if it feels like it's been a long time since we've had an episode. Well, I think we needed to give everyone a chance to catch up. Yeah, and then, I mean, do we want to even address, like, the big thing that happened to the pod since we've been on it, or are we just not even talk <laughs> about that? Cool for school. Yeah. I mean, I only texted every single person that I, I knew with a little screenshot and was like, dude! <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, or maybe, you know, don't follow the show on Twitter, our last episode, uh, we talked about Knock Knock, directed by... Eli Roth. I would say, would you say friend of the show, Eli Roth? <laughs> Against all odds and out of nowhere, apparently Eli Roth listened to that episode, or at least yeah. seemed to have, right. based on his response to it, tweeting about it. And I don't know, I don't know if some people were like appreciating the level of cool that I found out of it, because like, I was like, oh yeah, it's cool Like uh, when a celebrity tweets at you or whatever, and it's like, yeah, but... It's not like we added him. No, we did not. And he's like just happening to tweet about something that we did. And like I would say I could I don't think I could ask for a better review. Like I think that's what I would want is like someone to say the word fun deconstruction. It's like, yeah, that's the show, right? Yeah, well, uh, maybe some people weren't quite understanding that he actually like must have at least listened to some of it. Right. Otherwise, well, why would you even mention it? Yeah, I know. Pretty cool. Uh, going forward, I think that uh, for for me now, it's like Kubrick, Scorsese, 
Roth. Like he's <laughs> <laughs> every Eli. I'm like a shill for Eli Roth now. Yeah, I mean, it it was a little bit nerve wracking when I first you know saw the t- yeah the tweet from You're like I was, oh no I was like, uh, <laughs> what did we say <laughs> is Ana de Armas gonna find out about this <laughs> oh if only um yeah I mean it was definitely a wild turn of events that I, I don't think either of us could have imagined no but right you know it's so. about time we started to get some recognition I mean that's this. the thing I mean that the one thing that it's like I don't want to when we started out doing this if you kind of presented me with this situation where a director of one of the movies was going to tweet about the podcast i would say that there's a zero percent chance of that happening <laughs> well i didn't want to tell you this but ana de armas actually did tweet at us <laughs> and she was like i'm interested in meeting uh matt from the show <laughs> and i just wrote back he's gay he's not he's not interested in chicks didn't you listen to the kesha episode lol <laughs> i was like but i'm interested and I, have, I haven't heard back <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you know, it just goes to show you, we may only have like 20 followers on Twitter, but people stuff's are really in. happening yeah. out there in tw- Twitter land. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if we'll be able and to top oh, that. That's the other, yeah, well, that's the best part about it. The, probably like the coolest thing that ever could have happened, ever will happen to the show happened, and then we're like, okay, let's not do another new episode for weeks. <laughs> well, we weren't going to change. We weren't going to change right. our plans just yeah. you know because we got the recognition from hollywood no finally, and you we, would think like we'd feel the pressure to really like bring it for the next episode but i no, no no yeah pressure. zero pressure <clears throat> why ch- why start having <laughs> yeah you know, quality the results have been now. so good i don't see why we should mess with it yeah <laughs> it only took 55 episodes for us to get that recognition <laughs> aside from that if you want to Join in on the Twitter fun. We're at Greatest <laughs> yeah. Pod. You can see us retweet anytime a director of a movie we talk about mentions right. us. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty much like the most exciting retweet I think I've ever had. Maybe. I I can't think of anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aside from you talking to the girl who played Kara on The Wonder Years on Twitter, I don't know if there's a more exciting Twitter interaction. And, you know... As a personal favor to me and Matt, it would be nice if you subscribe to the show on <laughs> iTunes. Uh, our subscription level seems to be... It wavers? I don't know. No, I mean, it seems to Steady. have yeah. hit a plateau. Oh. I'd like to see maybe a few more. It'd be nice if Eli Roth tweeting about us could have resulted in a few more subscriptions. I kind of don't think so. Well, we that's not confirmed yet, really, because we haven't posted. It's not confirmed, but... We'll see. Sus- heavily yeah. suspected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think that like the Eli Roth thing would maybe result in like a flood of new downloads, but not really. I was hoping we'd leave that to mystery, but <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely some. Yeah, there was a. There it was, was noticeable. Spike. That's what right. first got me like kind of questioning what was going on. Cause yeah. It, oh, okay. It, yeah. it was noticeable. Right. But you know, shockingly, I don't really check our Twitter. Like you know every day necessarily <laughs> well yeah <laughs> and i mean where are we at with the stickers i don't know that whole i mean i bought that pack of scissors was i i have like 18 pairs of scissors in this pack because i didn't have scissors to cut the stickers up but it's just like a whole thing i, I really need to like take the time to open that pack of scissors and then start <laughs> cutting the scissors up I'm very it's like, sh- how do you open the pack of scissors if the scissors are in the well, pack? Well, then, and then what? Then I just have, like, a million pairs of scissors lying around? 
I really should have just bought the one pair of scissors. You could have just thrown... Yeah, you're probably going to end up throwing away some of those pairs of scissors. Yeah, along with that fucking Christmas Vacation Blu-ray that I bought by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, we're having a bad day over here. <clears throat> so, anyway... <laughs> uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, this is an episode that we had kind of talked about doing a while ago. Yeah, we were... Getting geared. I think I watched it. Getting like, or like put it on, kind of getting ready for the episode. And then it didn't happen. Yeah, it was pulled from it got the sketched. Yeah. Well, it got pushed. Yeah, yeah, true. There's a, a lot of people might not know this behind the scenes kind of stuff at the greatest moments in the history of forever. But you know, we have it's a little inside podcast. A yeah. lot of like schedule stuff going on. It's, <laughs> it's like constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you'll be like, we should do this, or we should do that. And it's like, I've already planned out the next seven months. <laughs> so then I have to change everything to accommodate your goddamn <laughs> terrible requests. True. All right. <laughs> What's like a shitty thing you've made us do an episode on? I can't Bellflower. Even... <laughs> uh, Mad Men. I can't remember the other picks that I've had. You've, yeah, there definitely have been other ones. Yeah. But anyway. Um, oh, uh... What's the other... Without saying what it's going to be... Not Mysteries of Pittsburgh, but the other thing by that dude. Wonder Boys? Wonder Boys, yeah. Well, that one was fun. Okay. I don't know if anything got less of a reaction than the Wonder Boys up, but... (laughs) (laughs) Nobody even knew what the fuck that was. (laughs) They were like, what is this? (laughs) Well, I don't want to... I won't say what it is, but next episode, I think, is a Matt pick. Oh, So that's a big teaser. People will really be anticipating (laughs) the next episode. Especially with the way you really, you know, go on about how great my picks are. (laughs) Gets everyone excited. Well, you know, it's just a little frustrating sometimes when you constantly are working on a schedule. No, I understand. Yeah. (laughs) I just throw things out there. You don't really have to take them into consideration. Oh, well, then, then, you know, whenever you get upset about something, then it gets thrown in my face. I kind of want to do The Crush. Now that we were talking about that earlier and watched the trailer well, for we it. we haven't even watched it yet. All right. So let's, let's <laughs> yeah, calm down. True. <laughs> Plus, I think that might be a tricky... Yeah. <laughs> it, might, it might be a... Uh, That's true. Know, complicated. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> um, any, I'd like to actually just do the the two Aerosmith music videos we were watching earlier <laughs> yeah. today. Um, the Greatest Moments in the History of Forever, episode 58, Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the main reasons why Blade Runner was pushed and why it's kind of been looming as something that I wanted to do but, like, kind of was hesitant, it, it's just, like, it's it's almost like saying we're going to do an episode on, like, the original Star Wars trilogy or something. Oh, uh, yeah. All three movies. Right. Like, it's, it seems that massive sometimes because of... Yeah, because there's more versions of Blade Runner than original <laughs> Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> well, even beyond that, it's yeah. just... It, it's such a complicated thing, and there's so much, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff that it, it, usually, like, we don't you know, spend a ton of time talking about, like, the making of a movie. Uh, the or production. Like, or yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I think with this, it's just, like, an inevitable thing that you end up having to bring up all this other stuff. Well, it's the first one that, it. like, uh, several people could have watched this movie and, like, none of us have, are going to be on the same page as to what version it was. So, yeah, bef- yeah, actually, before we go any further, we should say that we're going to be talking about uh, the final cut. Which I believe was released for the first time in 2007. And we're accepting this as the real movie. 
Right. I mean, we can get into that now, I guess, which is, uh, you know, a conversation we were having uh, a couple of days ago about uh, Blade Runner and, and the different versions of it. And I would say that 99 times out of 100, I'm going to say that the, 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 the theatrical version of a film is the canonical version. You yeah. know what I mean? Okay, That's right. ca- yes. Whatever it played in theaters is canon and everything else is something extra. Like, because there are obviously an infinite amount of movies that when they were released... Alternate endings. Yeah, for home video that, like, they add scenes or director's cut right. or unrated yes. cut or whatever or supplemental things. If we're talking about a, another, you know, Richard Kelly no, movie, a, there might be three graphic novels Stunning or with this was that you revealed to me, like, the D, the DVD that I bought of this movie was the one that was labeled the director's cut. And then you revealed to me that Ridley Scott didn't even have a final cut until this last one. Right. They, so they label it the director's cut and it's but not really. No, because I think it's didn't it still have some of the narration? I don't know. I can't remember now cuz yeah, I mean it's been years since I've watched that copy of it, but well, <clears throat> with Blade Runner there are 5 versions of the film that have been kind of released uh if you buy like the um 30th anniversary blu-ray set which is what i have it has five different versions of the film on it but there are seven known versions of the film um that exist uh each of them are have slightly different things in them or whatever but what my point was with this particular film unlike the 99 out of 100 that i was referring to I kind of feel like you have to go with the final cut versus the theatrical. This is like the one instance where it's like something I I think with Ridley Scott's vision of the film it is so altered in the theatrical cut that you can you kind of end up with a completely different <laughs> feeling about what the movie is if you watch the right. final cut. Yeah, and I mean hearing that uh, voiceover stuff with Harrison Ford. It really is like. So then this thing was telling me about how it was ending. It's like <laughs> just like well, droning on. <clears throat> a lot of the earlier versions of the film, including the theatrical one, have the uh, what's referred to as the quote unquote happy ending, which right. is the part after the elevator when they're dry- flying away in the Ooh. car. Is it him and Sean Young? Yeah. Okay. And that's not in the the final, final cut, cut at all, right? It ends with the elevator closing, which is, you know, the the version that he wanted. It's more to have. ambiguous, and you know, as we kind of go through this movie, we can maybe point out some of the things. Is the origami involved in the original cut? Like, not not throughout, but like with the the unicorn origami at the end. Um, I don't know. Okay, because it really, I don't know if it makes any sense. Right <laughs> in the other version, because the dream sequence is not there. Yes. And when I was watching some of the behind-the-scenes footage or the documentary stuff that goes with the Blu-ray set, they were talking about how it had long been rumored that the unicorn dream sequence was actually not even filmed for Blade Runner originally, that it was actually from Ridley Scott's next movie, which was uh, Legend, I believe. Oh, really? And people Oh, wow. I guess that that, makes sense. But the unicorn was actually from that and that it was... that. It was only a rumor and all this other stuff, but that is now they actually used a uh, a real unicorn to film that. (laughs) Correct, (laughs) right? Um, That is weird. You know what? It does kind of it fits. It does fit the look of Legend, doesn't it? 
that's but what a weird thing to happen. You know what I mean? Like, let's well, just, yeah, I mean, it, definitely, this was like pre-internet age, so like people that were like obsessive movie fans really only had to go by like magazines and like stuff like that, right? And there was, like, the community was much more isolated, and your knowledge came in, like, drips and drabs and, like, stuff like that. There wasn't, like, you couldn't just do a Google search and get, like, the story behind the story kind of thing for anything, you know yes. what I mean? So it was, right. like, you know, people didn't really know a lot about these different versions of the film other than, like, rumors they would hear or sometimes, like, uh, different kind of fan magazine type stuff for movies would have references to how there were the IMDb cuts of the film. message board threads. <laughs> Well, those didn't exist. You yeah, know? right. So anyway, we're going to be talking about the final cut. Uh, Eventually. <laughs> and like 20 that minutes into this is, thing. I think, the definitive version of the film. Uh, I don't really know what to think. Uh, and, it, you know, and I was going to bring this up, kind of talking about why we were going to do Blade Runner and, you know, kind of hemming and hawing on when we were going to do it. Because we, ha- we there is a sequel coming out this oh, right. year yes. in October called Blade Runner 2049, which I guess, based off of that title, is set 30 years after the first Blade Runner because the right. first one takes place in 2019, which we're almost two anyway. <laughs> we <laughs> still don't have flying cars, though. doesn't really look like the way it's portrayed in 2019 in that movie. Yeah, not quite. Although, you know, things could get yeah. real bleak real fast right now. It's going to be the... Uh... <laughs> What's the dude from uh, Back to the Future? Biff. Biff, yeah. All right. So in Los Angeles in November of 2019, we're introduced to uh, Rick Deckard, who is like a uh, former police officer, and now he's um, known as a Blade Runner, which is... Uh, Do we know what that where that term comes from? I think they just took it from a William S. Burroughs short story that had nothing to do with this. Oh, okay. I don't even know if the phrase Blade Runner comes from the Philip K. Dick novel. Oh, really? Okay. I I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. And the job of a Blade Runner is basically just to track down these things known as replicants, which are... Human droids? Yeah, they're basically bioengineered beings that are indistinguishable from real humans. Yes. They don't act robotic at all. And they, Blade Runners track them and kill them. But right. Because it's called retire? Is that what they call it? What did, yeah. Right. Because basically, I guess they've... Replicants have been known to do some fucked up shit, and it's now illegal for them to exist on Earth. Right. So their, their whole point of existence now is to do basic slave labor in far-off planets and shit ah yes to do like dangerous work that real humans don't want to do which as we approach 2019 it does feel like we're getting quite close to this universe (laughs) well you know we can jump ahead for a second and bring up uh daryl hannah (laughs) playing what is referred to as your basic pleasure model right which what work is she doing on these foreign planets I don't know. I'm thinking these things like exist to like build stuff, but I don't know. They had to slip I, in a few of those pleasure models. Well, I guess there might be some actual like humans out there too. True, overseeing things right, that, and they need to. You they know. need blowjobs and such. <laughs> I don't know. They need to get that release. <laughs> they need to let the poison out. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. I, I, 
it's just like how I mean how we're not even getting like an estimated date on when we're gonna have sex dolls that are as realistic as these humans in this movie. No, I mean I think it's gonna be a dangerous thing to introduce into society. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always kind of wondered. It's like, well, they say that she's just a bit your basic pleasure model or whatever. But what's like, the deluxe version like? But like <laughs> the basic is Daryl Hannah. <laughs> but like. Uh, her character several times throughout the film shows a proficiency for combat and also <laughs> multi-talented. You know they they dupe that guy. Um, what's his name? I can't. Oh uh, yeah. You know who, who cares? So basically, she she shows like a level of cunning and right yes. ability to like think and all this stuff. So it's like, wh- why would <laughs> it does beg know. the question? Why would they program? It's like that Westworld thing where she somehow was able to get one of the texts to like turn up all her attributes yeah it, it's i think one of the things that makes blade runner kind of uh very rewatchable and and fun is that they don't really bog you down with like science right, this movie came out in 1982 we're gonna have to like give you a crash course on all of the science that made this all all possible you know right and explain how these things are programmed and made and blah, 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 blah. it's yes. just like all right we're here these things exist uh, they're illegal. A bunch of these robots, or whatever they are, they, you know, replicants. They escaped from their place and came to Earth, and now Deckard's got to like hunt them down. Right. I so, think it started out with what six, and then two of them die before they even got to Earth. I think right. So, well, I think when they were breaking into the oh the, right Tyrell Industries yes. the, for the first time. Um, so basically, their motive seemingly which isn't completely clear to us, the viewer, but it seems like they're trying to get to the guy that created them. Like yeah, something uh, to do with the corporation. They are uh, Tyrell Corporation Nexus 6 models. They only have a four-year lifespan, and they've basically come to Earth to try to extend their lives. Right. That's what they're they They're self-aware of their lifespans. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they've built these uh, human beings, essentially, and... They've made them super strong, super fast, super agile, and super smart, seemingly. Right. Which it seems like, you know, if Terminator's taught us anything, is a bad idea. Yeah, if any movie has taught us anything. <laughs> Anytime they toil around with this type of technology, it always ends in trouble. So one of their first try you know, one of their first methods of trying to infiltrate the Tyrell Corporation is to try to get jobs there and <laughs> just filling out applications. <laughs> uh we kind of, you know, join this story as it's already uh, right. been unfolding. And so, you know, Deckard watches a video of a, f- a fellow Blade Runner named Holden administering what's known as the Voight Kampf test. Now, Holden seems pretty good at doing the test, although I will say he's not very prepared for any imminent danger. Yeah, well, one wonders if in that scenario, is he in a position where he has to administer that test to everyone or are they doing it because they suspect that guy? I don't know. That's what we don't know. Because now he's kind of treating it more like, Oh, I got to do this with everyone. And right. It doesn't really seem like there's any threat of like, Oh, these Nexus six models have returned. Now, this could be one of them. <laughs> yeah. I could be dead at any second. I'll say this too. Uh, you know, this guy, when you start thinking about them making these humanoid robot things 
this is not the look I would have imagined. <laughs> he just looks like any average plumber, you would say. Yeah. He's quite a schlubby dude. I mean, I'm kind of an expert on the topic. I, I recognize my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, like, it's weird. Like, I guess, you know, for the sake of the movie, obviously they're going to use, like, real actors. And this was made in 1982, so, that it's, you know, there's not as much advancement as far as like cgi and stuff like that so that i basically they wanted to just cast real people but like when you think about what the actual situation would be they would probably make these things without like unique faces right you know what i mean they would probably all kind of look the same except for normal hairlines (laughs) with the exception of you know a a pleasure model or something where there was some (laughs) reason to that the appearance would come into play. Right. Because, I mean, if these guys like uh, Rucker Hauer and the other guy and whoever, if if they were just there to, like, do this dangerous work on a, you know, a, a distant planet or star system or whatever, you know, they're supposed to be doing in space. Right. Like, why would they need to look any different or any, you know, why yeah, would they need that to look unique or different or whatever? They would probably all just look the same. Yeah. There'd be no reason for... I guess maybe you could justify it by saying, like, well, it's easier for their human overseers to uh, be able to distinguish, you know, who's who. Right. uh, And keep some sort of, like, uh, you know, control over them that way. Like, oh, this one is supposed to be doing this. Yes. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. But you'd think maybe they would just tattoo numbers on their face or back or something something. that identifies them so that this doesn't happen (laughs) so holden is administering this void conf test the test subject's name is leon and he ends up shooting holden after holden asks about leon's mother uh it seemed like you know the test is designed to like kind of it seems like trip up the way that their thought process works right yeah it's it, it judges like emotional response to questions now, typically, you know, I guess a replicant who doesn't have, like, some sort of violent agenda wouldn't react the way that Leon reacts, which is to shoot Holden. Like, they would typically probably just trip themselves up a little bit, and then right. you'd be able to tell. Like, it would just be... The whole point is to just determine who's a replicant and who isn't. Yeah. I, in this particular instance... It doesn't really get too far before Leon just says, fuck it, and shoots him. <laughs> yeah. So Deckard is kind of like brought into the situation. Now, here's the thing that's unclear about Deckard to me. He's a retired Blade Runner. What do Blade Runners do in retirement? He doesn't seem to be working. He's maintaining some life with an apartment, though, right? Yeah, I mean, we don't really get a whole lot of backstory. Um, the day-to-day it, living it's kind of, of like Deckard. The whole film is kind of presented in a traditional, like, uh, film noir sense yes like you know he's kind of this rugged kind of distant gruff guy it's on his raining own. a lot <laughs> well yeah everything is <laughs> the film like looks amazing oh it's, yeah it's, it, it's almost everything is shot at night it's always seems to be raining which is weird because it's got this weird dark synth music Angeles. that's really cool yeah like atmospherically it's probably one of the coolest films i can think of yeah totally deckard's brought into this situation he watches this video of leon shooting the dude and he's basically tasked with retiring leon and three other replicants uh roy batty zora and pre or i don't know how to say that priest pre 
Something. Um, I th- that's Daryl Hannah's character. Um, they don't really use the a lot of the replicants' names very often, so it's kind of like whatever. Who cares, right? Deckard kind of initially refuses, but this guy Bryant, who is like the cop or whoever he's supposed to be, he's like he kind of ambiguously threatens him. Yes, and so Deckard like reluctantly agrees. Um, we don't really know what the deal is here. He's acting like he has some sort of leverage over him. Yeah, which I guess, you know, you can tie into the whole thing, which will come up later, you know, in this, which is, you know, is something that's more apparent in this final cut version. But I don't know if that's the implication or not, because it's like, you know, Deckard seemingly is not aware of, you know, what I'm referring to. So I don't know how that would be held over him. No, I don't either. Right. Um <clears throat> So Deckard heads over to the Tyrell Corporation because he wants to ensure that this test is going to work accurately on the Nexus 6 models. And while he's there, uh, he he meets Dr. Eldon Tyrell, the guy who's basically created these things. And his assistant, Rachel, turns out to be an experimental replicant who believes herself to be human. So this is kind of a whole new level added. Now it seems like if they've already had these problems with replicants why would he be creating this one that's unaware of well he's a scientist he's not constrained you got you got to keep pushing the envelope there now i'll say this to rachel's credit whatever thing she's doing with her hair i'm really into i mean it looks great i don't know how she's doing this every morning where it's like (laughs) forming up into something like on top of her head and well it definitely is reminiscent of like Katy perry during her kind of like asian appreciation phase that she went through a ah years yes ago. right <laughs> and like sean young kind of vaguely ha- re- is reminiscent of Katy perry in general in i'd this, be like in how do you movie. do that with your hair i just don't understand how long does that take every morning yeah especially when she finally like pops it out and it's just oh like yeah this te- like albert einstein just so many curls and it's right. so much hair yeah rachel has been given false memories to provide kind of like an emotional cushion to help aid in this belief that, but she they're all given human. that, right? Because he knows that they're given that. Deckard does. I don't think that the replicants who know they're replicants. Oh, okay. I guess that. that's true. Why would they have him? But he's. Why does he know? Because he. This, this is what is explained to him when he first finds out that. Oh, okay. He gives the Voight-Kampf test gotcha. to Rachel. Right, yep. And he kind of first finds out that she's a replicant. But like, bad the, job by Matt. The major thing here is like. Whereas, you know, a normal replicant only takes about 20 or give or take questions on this test to find out. Oh, yeah. It took over 100 with Rachel. Oh, yeah. And he's like really asking her some weird questions like a woman caresses your face and has beautiful flowing hair and you start to feel a little something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, he's like. You're looking through a magazine, and there's a nude picture of a woman. You show the picture to your husband, and he likes the picture so much, he bangs it on your bedroom wall. <laughs> it's like, what kind of question is that? Yeah. Are you trying to find out if I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard? <laughs> That's for me to know, and you to find out. But, you know, as as is the case with like any kind of movie, uh, when they introduce the female lead, there's obviously some sexual tension right off the bat oh, yeah. between Deckard right. and Rachel and we're kind of like forced to confront that idea of like loving a replicant. Yeah. And it kind of 
slowly brings about like what are the main ideas of the film you know what it it what it means to be human versus you know can it be created in a lab yes right uh because rachel despite the fact that she's not a part of deckard's initial quest she kind of represents the major morality issues that i think ridley scott and you know the screenwriter and even philip k dick who wrote the novel kind of wanted to address which is this idea of giving her these false memories is like if you believe yourself to be human how is that any different from actually being human if if genetically everything they've created for her is the same you know it's like I mean? a dr manhattan type <laughs> view when he just will bring up things like you know uh from a cell standpoint living bodies and dead bodies aren't really any different <laughs> we're like all right get out of here <laughs> <laughs> so uh roy batty who is basically the leader of these rogue replicants played by rucker hauer him he and leon uh end up you know investigating different uh manufacturing laboratories and all this different crap and they end up tracking down this guy jf sebastian who is a genetic designer uh, who works closely with Tyrell. And eventually they kind of like use this guy uh, to get to Tyrell through Free, who is your basic pleasure This is the guy that uh, lives in a freezer, right? Uh, No, that's the the, uh, eye manufacturing guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. J.F. Sebastian's the guy with the toys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the total creep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Rachel, you know, ends up visiting Deckard at his apartment and she is kind of having an existential meltdown because it's now dawning on her that she might not be human after all. And right. this has come yes. as a great shock to her. Uh, and she tries to prove her well, humanity that is weird, yeah. with like a family photo, but Deckard's like, look, honey. honey yeah, he's, and he's not... You would say he doesn't have the best bedside manner. His delivery of this news, uh, it's not a soft blow. He's not very sensitive to her situation. Yeah, which I think plays into his gruff nature in general, but also I think he <clears throat> he's never dealt with a replicant like this before. Oh, right, so yes. So he's used to replicants being like these kind of one-dimensional fake beings. And yes, now yes, right. she's, you know... Has emotional she, her reactions. Her emotional reactions right. are much more human, and yeah. he doesn't quite know how to deal with that because he's never experienced this with a replicant before. So she ends up, you know, leaving in tears when he's like, look, these are Tyrell's niece's memories. These aren't yours. (laughs) And uh, meanwhile, Pre locates the Sebastian guy and tricks him into having him invite her into his house. Tricks? I mean, how much trick should it take? Yeah, I know. The Sebastian guy doesn't look like he gets out much. (laughs) Yeah, the toys that are just like walking around his apartment are truly the most horrifying things. And I mean, I, I hate to be insensitive because it definitely seems like, um, some of the listeners of the show are living similar lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that the, the, some of the toys are actually people. Well, right. Yes. But like just, you know, they have different like things on their faces to make them look weird. Or I don't whatever. know how and, you could sleep with these things in your house. Yeah, I know. And they talk and walk around. Right. Oh, it's, it's like super creepy. And you just wake up and they're like interacting and doing things. They're just like eating cereal. You're like living <laughs> in a bad horror movie at that point. Right. <laughs> Every day. 
So Sebastian's very happy to have a lovely lady in his home. Yeah, I like how her move was to basically act like she was sleeping in a pile of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, look, a a woman sleeping in a pile of garbage. I would like to invite her into my home. Come on over. (laughs) So Dion, or Dion, (laughs) Deckard finds Leon's hotel room and uh, through a bunch of crazy photo manipulation, he ends up finding like this picture of Zora and she has a synthetic snake. And this leads him to a strip club. Do we know why she's like kind of separated from the group? Well, they all kind of are a little bit, except for Leon and uh, whatever. Rucker. Yeah, I don't know how Zora was factoring in. She basically she seems to be doing her own thing. She's trying to make a living. (laughs) Yeah, she goes and works at the strip club where she has like some act with a synthetic snake. Which, because one thing that should be pointed out is like I guess almost all animals are extinct at this point. Oh right, so they're all like yeah, they're all like robots too. You know, they go. Ha- basically, Deckard just shows up and he pretends that he's like some kind of a talent scout type person and he ends up killing her. I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward thing. I mean, there's not yeah. really anything too exciting there as far as the plot. I mean, it's, like, it's a cool sequence, but I think the nudity is actually only in the final cut. Oh, okay. But I'm not entirely right. sure. Um, Shortly after he retires Zora in the streets outside of the strip club, uh, Bryant shows up and he tells. Deckard that now he has to add Rachel to this list of replicants that he has to retire because Rachel has now disappeared from the Tyrell Corporation. I guess, you know, furthering her meltdown. Yeah, and they're not keeping like a very close eye on her, I guess. She's a replicant, but they just let her live her life. I mean, I guess I know she's supposed to be believing that she's a human, but shouldn't they be putting some sort of restriction on her? You would think because, you know, the beginning of the film does kind of lay it out there that like oh these things are potentially dangerous and now illegal but right tyrell is apparently just doing whatever he wants yes typical male (laughs) so uh, right after this um deckard spots rachel in a crowd but leon who's been kind of looming around you can kind of see him in the background as he's like go as deckard's going through this whole thing with like zora uh, Leon attacks Deckard, but Rachel ends up killing Leon using Deckard's pistol, which he drops. I guess Bryant kind of just like shuttled right out of there. He's like, oh, hey, you got to kill Rachel too. See ya. <laughs> uh, so Rachel and Deckard go back to Deckard's apartment, and he basically is like, look, honey, I won't hurt you. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to say, but I think I'm kind of into this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, it's kind of yeah. like this weird thing. And then. We don't really know where this came from, but yeah, all of a sudden he's like, I can't get that Rachel out of my mind. Eventually she ends up trying to leave and Deckard like physically restrains her and forces forces her to kiss him. Yeah, which, now the, right. Now again is kind of a more of a trope of like a uh, a noir film, like yes. kind of the gruff handling right. of a woman and then ultimately she, you know, is into obviously it. wants it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing though, too. It's something aside from the noir thing, I just also feel like 80s movies this was happening a lot and i think i feel like anything with michael douglas he was grabbing a chick by the throat and like ripping her skirt and like making out like <laughs> so aggressively um so yeah it's just something that i felt felt like used to seeing in movies from the 80s uh you know and then michael douglas would go on to accuse all those women of giving him throat cancer after he performed oral sex on them all right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of jokes I think that I could make here, but I don't know if it's a good road. All right. 
now it's we're down to two basically Roy and uh Pre and uh for whatever reason uh Sebastian ends up being like sympathetic cuz he Sebastian like it, it 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 turns out to not really be a secret to Sebastian that these are replicants which I always kind of find weird. Oh yeah, right. He kind of is just like, yeah, I kind of know who you guys are and I'm all right with it. Yeah. I'm kind of sympathetic. <laughs> well, why wouldn't he be? Look who's living in the house. And it's like I think Sebastian even kind of Sebastian's like, "Have you seen my friends before you guys got here?" I think it's funny because when we were watching this movie, I think we were kind of talking over this making fun of the fact that <laughs> This actor was like 38 and he was supposed to be 25. Oh, yeah. That's actually a plot point. Okay. Because he, that's why he's sympathetic to their plight is he has what's known as the Methuselah syndrome, a genetic premature aging disorder, which we kind of Is just, that like the movie Jack with Robin Williams? Does he have that disorder? Yes. Okay. Um, so that's kind of, I, I guess they kind of just threw that in there to be like, all right, well, he'll help them out As we a were little goofing bit. on how insane it was that this dude <laughs> looks so old. Yeah, because I, I think, like, in their initial meeting, Daryl Hannah's like, how old are you? And he's, like, 25, and we're both, like, dr- <laughs> in the middle of taking a drink and just spit-take oh, yeah. all over the room. We're like, what? Yeah. I immediately went upstairs and killed myself. <laughs> um, Sebastian's like, all right, fuck it, I'll take you over to Tyrell's. So he takes Roy over, and there's kind of this this dramatic confrontation between Roy, you know, this badass of badasses, this alpha male that they've oh, created right. yes rudger Hauer in all of his 1980s glory now he and he's like a military model right i think you right that, but that's it's how do these all end up together this uh worker this pleasure model this military model maybe one day we'll get the uh prequel movie about their escape from wherever they escaped from. oh hopefully yeah <laughs> um tyrell is kind of like <sighs> It's interesting because they kind of just break into his penthouse when he's like in a robe, you know, clearly about to go to sleep or whatever. And yeah. He, but he doesn't really he's seem not that scared. alarmed by it. No. Yeah. And even though he has to be aware that the maybe I don't know, maybe they've tried to keep this a secret. So he doesn't really maybe nobody knows except the police that oh, maybe that, yeah. that these replicants have come back to Earth. I don't know. You would think that Tyrell would be in on this, too. Although, but, why would he be at the thing doing the test on Rachel? Well, that What's was more of a spur of the moment thing when Deckard showed up, but oh, okay. I don't know what Deckard. You don't ever get the it's scene where Deckard's like explaining, like, were. "Oh, yeah, this is why I showed up." So Roy is basically like, "Hey, I want to live longer," and Tyrell's like, "Sorry, bro, that ain't happening. Like, it doesn't work that way. Oh, There's right. nothing I can yes. do about it." So you know, Roy ends up killing Tyrell after kissing him, <laughs> um, in a you know, pretty violent scene, which I think they added in for... Uh, yeah, I'd like to meet my maker and give him an open-mouth kiss. So now Tyrell is dead, and... Uh, well, the big thing eventually is it, he reveals to them that... Because they want to expand their lives, and he's like, yeah, there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, I said that. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> I okay. think it's kind of... It's not shown, <clears throat> but it's kind of implied that Roy also then kills Sebastian. I think <clears throat> if you listen closely, I think you can hear the police radio say something to that effect, but uh, poor Sebastian. Sebastian just kind of disappears from the narrative for the rest of the movie. Um, no one cares. At some point in the final cut, now this is like kind of what distinguishes the, one of the major things that distinguishes the final cut from some of the other versions. Uh, we get the full 
Deckard dream sequence of this unicorn running through the woods. Right. Without any explanation at yeah. the time. Yes. It's kind of just like he's nodding off at a piano in his apartment. Oh, yeah. Um, Pretentious move. <laughs> what, to have an apart- uh, piano in your apartment? Yeah, nod off at it and dream about unicorns. <laughs> Imagine someone doing that ever. And so <clears throat> we kind of are left questioning as to, like, you know, what is the point of the stream? What is happening? But, you know, throughout the movie, we also have this other guy. I'm not even sure what his actual role is. Is he like the backup Blade Runner? Right. And or does he just work with the police? I don't or? know. He's a cop, I guess, but... He's got weird eyes. Is he blind and is he driving anyway? <laughs> That's one of the things that I'm trying I, I to figure know. out. His name is Gaff and he kind of just like shows up at and various kind of points. An oddball. It's almost like he's checking up on what Deckard's doing, but we don't know why and what or or what or what. But he yeah, his, just be like, "Well, you do it then, Gaff." He seems to like leave origami animals at different places. That seems to yeah. be like his weird calling card, right? It seems but, like something you know that he's really bringing a lot to the table with this. He is, I, I guess, he's a fellow cop, and he kind of just—I'm not really sure what his whole like purpose is, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He, he just, just goes there. around making origami animals, and we're all like, all right, thanks, Gaff. <laughs> but so now that Tyrell's dead, it's only a matter of time before Roy and Pri are going to die anyway. But before, I guess, you know, Deckard feeling compelled to complete the mission and p- prevent them from possibly doing anything else, he has to, you know, continue on. With his whole goal of retiring them early. So he, Deckard, tracks the replicants to Sebastian's apartment. And he is ambushed by Pre, who, like I mentioned earlier, is supposedly just a pleasure model. But does all these crazy cartwheels and flips and fights. Oh, yeah, right. Yes. At one point, she's, like, sticking her fingers in Deckard's nose to, like, pull his face. Well, they are very into, like, sticking their fingers into orifices to try and kill people. (laughs) That's, like, a big part of it. (laughs) Like, crushing the skull, putting the fingers in the eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is weird. It's like if you program something to fight, like, what is the original version of these moves that she knows? Like, is that some sort of ancient martial arts, like these cartwheels? I don't know. <laughs> but Deckard, you know, eventually manages to kill her because even though she seemingly has the upper hand at one point, she she decides to run back so that she can get some build-up oh, yeah. speed for these crazy flips and cartwheels she wants to do. Yeah, and she, then he just shoots her. She completely had the high ground and could have killed him easily. But she's like, all right, let me reset. <laughs> that might be a flaw since she's not like a... Uh, True, yes. A battle replicant. She's more of a show-off. Roy ends up returning like just as Deckard kills her. And Deckard... Despite the fact that he's our hero, he seemingly is really no match for a full-strength Roy. So Roy starts chasing Deckard throughout this, you know, uh, building. And again, like the set design in this movie is like incredible. It's this, like the I, locations I mean, that they're in are talk about insane. the high ceilings in this apartment building. Yeah, I think they. I I want to say that this was the Bradbury Building, which is a real ah. place in L.A. And that you know, uh, I think kind of. Ridley Scott was saying, like, you know, one of the advantages that he had coming into this film as a director was, you know, he's he's kind of an outsider to L.A. 
he's not from LA and he doesn't live in LA. So he was able to like kind of recognize some cool places to shoot that like other people see day to day and aren't seeing what he's seeing. You know what I mean? He's able to like see these locations and be like production value to it. Yeah. And I think this building in particular is kind of cool because like the outside of the rooms, like out into like the hallways with like the, the little like balconies and all that, the weird design of the elevators and all that stuff. It's kind of, I think, I, I can't remember what episode we talked about this in, but, or if we, or if this was something we talked about off the pod, maybe, but <laughs> there's kind of this cool aesthetic. The that, real pod. Like, uh, you can kind of see in movies like the original Star Wars trilogy and then this movie and some other one, Alien, for example, oh, another right. Ridley Scott one, which is this kind of concept of the used future. Yeah. You know, which was, a I, I don't know who coined that phrase but it's kind of a perfect way to describe these things like futuristic technology but it's all kind of like beat up and like yeah like in other words like yeah these there's these crazy inventions and different technology than we have today but it's it's not everything doesn't suddenly look like the stereotypical perfect looking space station that we all right you know saw so often in like science fiction and futuristic stories and stuff like not everyone's wearing pristine white clothing and like everything is cold and perfect looking like the end of interstellar (laughs) um roy is chasing decker through the building uh they end up on the roof uh decker tries to jump across to an adjacent roof but he misses the left hanging going through this whole fight with like broken fingers which is just disgusting looking you know, yeah. It's who like, broke his fingers? Was it Roy? I thought it was. I thought it was Roy because he like grabs his hand, is like holding him and breaking him. I think. Oh yeah, right? when it, he punches through the wall. Yeah, and as and like, then it seems like he's trying to put his fingers back into place during this whole sequence. Yeah, a couple times he like screams. I don't even know what the medical possibility of this is, but <laughs> it looks <laughs> fucked up. Well, they're all like dislocated, and he's yeah. gonna like pop them back okay. in. Right, but like. So Deckard's left hanging kind of between the two buildings and Roy jumps across with ease and right as like Deckard's about to like fall, Roy grabs him and just pulls him up onto the roof, saving him, which is kind of this now, weird Now, I will say Deckard move. holds on for a long time too beforehand. Yeah. He's hanging from that. I mean... It's pouring down rain. I know. It's like I would have fallen off so quick, but as we know, you know, anybody in these movies, just unbelievable grip at all times. <laughs> Uh, now one thing I had a question on when this happens, he grabs him, he's got that nail through his hand. Does that go into Deckard? <laughs> you know, I don't know. They kind of like the camera focuses on it a little bit. He, like does this thing where he swings his arm out and grabs him by the arm or whatever. Yeah. And he's got like a nail through his fucking hand and it's like, does that pierce Deckard's skin? Does he need to get some sort of shot after Tetanus this? Shot. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because that's kind of like the weird thing. It's like uh, Roy is like slowly dying and like it's almost like some of his extremities are like shutting down and like turning even pale because he's a pale guy in the oh, movie. Right. But yes. like they're turning even like translucent looking. Uh-huh. Like when he sticks that nail through his hand, it's almost like he can't feel it at that point. Yes, yes, right. Because for some reason, these replicants can feel things too. It's not like they're oh, inhuman. Yeah, right. They're basically human. The whole motto of the Tyrell Corporation, more human than human. Sounds which great. White yeah. Zombie would go on to use as a song. <laughs> um, as Roy's life runs out, he delivers this uh, monologue about how his memories will be lost in time, like tears and rain. And it's kind of this 
poignant moment that you're not really expecting from someone who's kind of set up as a villain in the film and then he's all of a sudden he saves death. Deckard and then is just like, look, man, I've seen all this crazy shit that like you wouldn't even believe because of like, the places he's yeah, been out in the universe. Well, we'd like to hear about it. Well, it's too late. I know. And now he's dying and all of the things he's seen is just going to be lost. And of course, you know, it doesn't take like a genius to see the parallels between what is Roy is experiencing and what every human being experiences. Yes, right. This kind of Deckard just sitting there taking it all in too. Yeah, this not like really reacting. Infinite kind of feeling of loss that you would feel when you're confronted with like your own mortality. Ah, yes. In other words, everything you've done and everything you've said and done and seen and experienced ends up just washing away with time and, you know, you will disappear. And, of course, it's particularly jarring for something for a replicant who's self-aware because, obviously, they're not uh, procreating and and They know the expiration date, right? Yeah, and they're not passing themselves on to another generation. Ah, yes. They're existing and then non-existing and that's it. And it's kind of this, like, why do we exist, you know? what is the point of life oh, yeah. kind of thing. That, that old gag. That I guess is kind of like kind of the science fiction uh, question at the center of this is like if we were able to create a human life, it's like what would be the ramifications of that? Like, yeah, would we want to? Yeah, and it's like we're here, here we are, we've created these synthetic humans, but we didn't probably ex- fully expect them to become that self-aware. Yes. Even if they were aware they weren't human – to have these kind of deep thoughts about their own mortality and existence. Now, who would have expected that? (laughs) Yes. And what is going on with the law, with the whole Rachel thing? She, she saved his life with the Leon thing and killed. Well, clearly the Tyrell corporation exists because they still use replicants for off planet work. So I guess as long as she was under their control and there, then she was acceptable. But, but now Deckard is meant to, or it's become part of his mission to kill her too, which you know we'll get to at the end there. But he just lets her go after the Leon thing, right? After she kills Leon, yeah. I don't know. It's like what? What do you mean? What is she doing during this time period? Yeah, and like what's going on with Deckard? Why didn't he like detain her? Well, he told her he didn't want to hurt her, right? Because now he's like into it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he's putting a lot on the line here, though. But seemingly he doesn't really care because he's retired he's kind of just we don't like like we discussed we're not really clear what why he was able to be kind of bullied into doing this job but like he doesn't seem to like it's not of it he doesn't really seem to think of it as much more than a job he's he's not not doing it for the love of the blade running (laughs) so roy's life runs out and he he ends up like releasing like a dove or something which he's been kind of carrying around like an ass you know (laughs) yeah i mean the symbolism is a little heavy-handed like his soul ascending is this dove uh i think in the final cut they ended up going back and like redoing the scene of the dove going up into the air because it looked so poor in the original version because they ended up having to use like a sunny sky out of nowhere like it didn't make any sense because they couldn't they didn't really have the technology to just CGI that. But he's just been like full on like gripping this fucking 
bird carrying it around. <laughs> it's like, all right, dude. Well, he wanted he. I mean, I need you to do to, something symbolic in death. Yeah, I mean, you have to give it up to him. He was yeah. committed to the uh, the grandiose ending. Yeah, he was like, I have this idea, <laughs> and I want to go with it. Yes. So Gaff, who's kind of been hanging around, just shows up again. Yeah. And it's he like, shouts, thanks for the help, Gaff. Did you see me hanging from that roof? He shouts across to Deckard. It's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? Yeah, big existential point right there. And it's like, Gaff is, is basically like, hey, man. We know. Yeah. We know that you're not... You're not doing your you're not job. You're doing your job here with Rachel, and we know why, but hey. Gaff doesn't really... He seems to want to prove to Deckard that he's aware, but he doesn't really seem to interfere in any way. Right. Other than, you know, Deckard ends up going back to his apartment, and Rachel is there, and it's kind of this weird eyes-wide-shut type feeling to this, because it's like... Right. It's almost as if... Because the doors open and there's this horror of like, oh shit, what the fuck? Like, did did Gaff come in and kill Rachel? Mm-hmm. It's almost like Tom Cruise finding the mask on the bed. Yes, in Eyes Wide Shut, and it's almost like they didn't do anything, but they wanted to prove that they could. Yeah, yeah. At any time, and to kind of put that fear into you, and so Rachel is asleep and she's safe, but as they're leaving, Decker notices a small tinfoil origami unicorn on the floor which kind of brings back gaff's final words to him about it's too bad she won't live but who who does and in the final cut version where we've gotten the unicorn dream and we've gotten this now abrupt ending because now he grabs rachel they hurry out of the apartment the elevator door closes credits we don't get this ridiculous happy ending it's sequence like, boy gaff you're a real ray of sunshine <laughs> it's like thanks dude yeah with this fucking ominous statement to send me off so of course if you see the final cut you can't help now but go with the idea that deckard is possibly a replicant because how would gaff know about this unicorn dream? right so the idea obviously is that they've implanted memories and dreams into deckard and that he is also a replicant Mm -hmm. and that it's possible i guess if you're going to go with this train of thought it's possible that his entire story that we get at the beginning of the film is false he's not a retired blade runner he's someone that they created to carry out this task yeah like right there was no previous existence of tracking these things down that's just something they gave him in his mind yes to think that this is what he does and he's just come into existence you know not all that long ago probably right now it should be stated that the teaser trailer for the sequel kind of includes an old deckard deckard i yeah i don't know do you see him in the trailer i think we've talked about this yeah you do you actually well there's a teaser i believe this i mean unless i'm talking about the wrong thing i there's a teaser where it's just like Ryan Gosling's character and he walks into a building and Harrison Ford walks out with the gun up, like pointed out the way he does in the movie. Okay. Like walking towards Ryan Gosling. And he looks old. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I've watched it, but I, for some reason I couldn't remember if you just hear his voice or if you see him. Right. So that seems like it would dispel, although we don't know the levels or the possibilities of the technology either. <sighs> yeah. It seems like, and it's interesting to note that among all of the primary people involved in in the creation of the film, the director, the screenwriter, 
the various producers who work to get this project up off of the ground, they all kind of seemingly differ on the opinion of whether or not Deckard is a replicant. Right. So it's kind of like, it's ambiguous. The theatrical cut really trims that idea down, and you really have to start stretching a little Uh bit more. However, in the final cut, it's almost like you can't ignore it. It seems that's what the the whole point of the ending is. I mean, it's still it's not thrown in your face, but I mean, it's or not, you wouldn't say it's subtle. Or I guess if you wanted to take like a really alternative route, you could say that we don't know the extent to which the Tyrell Corporation can do things. So is it possible that they could have implanted Deckard with a dream, knowing down the line? that they could make him think he was a replicant if he ever didn't follow their orders. They could fuck with him that way. Right. In other words, it's an implanted dream that they knew about and that they were going to ha- do this thing with the uh, origami unicorn to make him think that, but like he is actually a real person. Like We don't know what all they're capable of doing. True. Is that, like, is that a stretch to come up with that idea? Yes, obviously, because why would they put that in the movie? But, you know... <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. Like I, we, I do it's kind of like yeah. left ambiguous. We don't really know for sure what's going to happen with Deckard and Rachel. It's like they could they will they both expire at some point? We don't know the life cycle that they have. These particular Nexus Six replicants had a four year life cycle. These ones could be shorter or longer. We don't know if it seems like Rachel would have a longer one because she seems way more advanced than the Nexus Six models because yeah. of her implanted memories and her thinking she's a human and all this stuff it's like you would think if they were going that next step with those kind of things they would probably have made her life cycle longer but we you know who knows right how impressionable is rachel what do you think her true feelings for deckard are i don't know there's basically zero way of gauging it we yeah i mean we don't really know you know to what level is it just the fact that he's the only guy that's gone for it (laughs) (laughs) We understand that these replicants are capable of emotions and kind of human responses to things, but we don't know to what level, like, could they fall in love with a human? We, I, I guess we could assume that, but we, it's, it's unknown, really. Yeah. I guess you could take the situation with Roy on the roof of the building at the end and his kind of insanely... <laughs> Emotionally thought- sappy provoking yeah (laughs) his like thought-provoking little you know statement there at the end coming from a a military model and you're like well you're just like these things advance die gracefully (laughs) how dare you i I think it's a great i know it is yeah (laughs) i'm planning a similar one for myself i've got the dove ready (laughs) i'm just carrying it around well it's kind of like less it's less like inspiring whenever your death is basically you nude hanging from a, your doorknob with a belt around your neck or like as you're the, jacking off. <laughs> or the Elvis Presley death. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on the toilet. For some reason, the bathroom door oh, wide open. God. Just my parents like, oh my God. <laughs> just yeah. so humiliating for, for some everyone. reason, like I'm taking pictures <laughs> and sending them to your parents. I'm just like, look at this asshole. LOL. Look at this ass clown. <laughs> he was just, he was trying to shit so hard he died. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Um 
Anyway. So that's Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's one of those things where obviously there's a lot, like a, a lot of like diehard fans who are, you know, super in tune with like all the different versions and whatnot. But it is kind of frustrating that like even somewhat serious like movie fans who who like a lot of different movies so they don't like fixate on one thing they might not be super familiar with all the different versions maybe they haven't even ever seen the final cut right and i think like i would definitely recommend it for people and i would i would say the best bet is to go into it as if you've never seen blade runner before and try to you know pay attention to the final cut as if it's like a new thing and then kind of form formulate your opinions of the film based off of that and your discussion points and whatnot. Yeah. Cause ultimately, you know, as is evidenced by the existence of this podcast, the most fun thing about movies is just being able to talk about. Oh them. yeah. <laughs> we never stop really. It's just like a nonstop Sometimes, discussion. You know, you buy the hateful eight Blu-ray oh. and it turns out to be Christmas vacation Don't get me going. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. You get back and you open the hateful eight Blu-ray and it just, has National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in it. And then it's like, we'll take it back. Well, I don't want to take it back. That's more stress for me. I'd rather just throw it out and pretend like this we never We should clarify happened. this is a used Blu-ray situation. Right. Yeah. This isn't like you opened a brand Let's new. Let's just say there's going to be a place that's not getting my business anymore. <laughs> Sometimes you just make a mistake, you learn from your mistake, and then you just move on. But that's the thing. This is I just don't want to bring any more humiliation into my life. I walk back in and I'm like, yeah, I just bought this 25 minutes ago. And if you look, there's a Christmas vacation. All right. Well, what if you would have looked in the car? That would have made it better. I would have gone back in. Okay. Uh, but it's like that's the thing. Then all of a sudden, I'm being ridiculed by the staff. Uh, well, how do we know you didn't just change this out? We have no way of knowing that. (laughs) But anyway, so a lot of big things coming up with the show. Uh, we'll transition right out of that horror story. <laughs> just well, now you know why I don't want to do anything <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if anybody comes across this who's like a super obsessive Blade Runner fan, I'm I sure you're going to say a copy of Hateful Eight that they just want to send me. <laughs> well, that too, because so, I've got a great sleeve on the one that I've got. Someone should just send Matt a brand new copy of the Hateful Eight, please, <laughs> so that we don't have to hear about this yeah, anymore. Eli Roth, hopefully, will do it. <laughs> No, what I was going to say was if if someone comes across this episode who happens to be like a super obsessed Blade Runner fan, obviously we missed a ton of shit, oh, and yeah. we don't we're not experts on this well, movie by any. Yeah, means. I don't think that's not the point of the show, right? Right, but I mean, it, that's what we we def we talked at the beginning of this episode about just like the overwhelming feeling with this particular oh, yes, movie. Yes, right. It's like where do you, it's really hard to even know how to start with it. It's like how do you. For a movie that like doesn't even have a ton of dialogue and the plot seemingly is straightforward, yeah, there's a lot going on. It was it's a very like, like nuanced the, uh, movie. This up kind of ended up being like the Donnie Darko thing where we didn't mention Grandma Death until like we were almost done. <laughs> and it was like with that gaff dude who's like you know not a main character but definitely a recurring character. Well, he's always like just looming yeah. around, but he's never he never really does very much. Yeah. And you're never really sure... I want his job. ...what his role is and what he's doing, but I don't know. Um, anyway... Uh, follow the show on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. At Greatest Pod. Subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. We probably... I haven't really looked. I don't know if we've gotten any new reviews lately. Probably not. Yeah. 
it'd always be nice to see some comments there. Chances Ridley Scott tweets about this episode? Zero. <laughs> I don't think he's active on, on Twitter. Twitter. No. Okay. Uh, he is 79 years old. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, he's been talking about how he wants to do now like six more alien movies or... Ambition. He feels like he could or whatever. And I saw some people kind of... That's like Clint Eastwood. It's just like, I got I to gotta make a movie every year. I mean, I'm running out of time here. Well, that's the thing. I, I did see some people very quick to kind of mock this. I mean, I'm sure there are people that didn't like Prometheus. I happen to love Prometheus. Oh, yeah. But even besides anybody's personal feelings about that particular film, there probably was also kind of thinking about mocking the idea of just, like, giving us all of these sequels to things. It's like, we're not even sure that we want them. Kind of how, like, James Cameron's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do five right. avatars or whatever. <laughs> but, like, my whole thing was, like, the dude is 79 years old. If we can get some more movies out of him before you know the end of his life, I think yeah. we should just enjoy whatever we have. And if if you're not really down for more Alien sequels, then you don't have to watch them. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't really see why we need to mock a guy who's given us you know countless incredible films. Been like a titan of the industry. I don't know. Well. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I think it is ridiculous. But then again, you know, I go on this podcast and mock Kevin Smith. And it's like, I don't have to watch his movies. Well, that <laughs> comes from a place of just disappointment. That's true. We, it is. We yeah. want Kevin Smith to be the old Kevin Smith. Yes, true. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's just like if if Ridley Scott, he could very, he's 79 years old. He could very easily be like, oh, yeah, Alien Covenant is going to be my last movie. Right. But instead he's like, I, I'm, I'm feeling like. All of this creative energy. I want. I'm ready to make all these more. More of these. I want. I'm ready to go again right now to start filming another one. The whole reason I originally watched uh, Blade Runner was I was. It was during a time where, uh, me and Keith, the listener of the show, would basically just go to Walmart every single weekend and buy like <laughs> uh, a ton of DVDs. <laughs> this is basically so nothing's changed yeah, in your life. So my life is you know now it's Blu-rays, but. Uh, so, like, I think there was a dude there one time who I knew, and he was just talking about movies. He was looking at movies, and I picked up Blade Runner. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that was." And I've never, I don't know if this is confirmed filmography wise, but he was like, "Oh yeah, that was uh, Ridley Scott's original like follow up to Alien, like the next movie after Alien." I don't know if that's true, but that I was like, "Oh okay," and then I bought it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there was any in between. I can't. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I don't know because I love Alien. Also, the first Alien movie, yeah. that's like pretty high up for me. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited about Alien Covenant. Me too. And it doesn't really matter to me that it looks like, you know, Prometheus, basically the same story. Right, that's fine. <laughs> six, somebody did make the joke, six future passenger spacecrafts land on six future planets, <laughs> <laughs> walk out six different times, find six different eggs, six different face huggers jump on six different people <laughs> <laughs> just basically the same thing right. over and over. Yes. but i mean so what yeah we know what it's always you kind of know what you're gonna get it's with an alien fun. movie and it's fun all right so yeah tweet at us please give us some comments yeah. <laughs> i don't know well i feel like because of the eli roth thing the twitter thing is ready to take off okay the next step i know so that's I, like, I would like it if the listeners would like tweet any kind any kind of responses to the episodes to us Okay, yeah. Be like, oh, you guys are idiots. You missed this or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if we need that. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for this episode, and uh, we'll see you next time.
God, I love these fries. <laughs> you love them so much, why don't you marry them? <laughs> Can I have some? Um, sure, Cindy, go ahead. Oh, God, these are good. Uh, Cindy, can you leave some for us? <laughs> I thought you were um, trying to lose weight. Lay off me, I'm starving. <laughs>